Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. Happy Halloween to those you you weirdos out there who celebrate this nonsense. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hope everybody's doing well. Not how he said you weirdos, not me. It's personal preference, personal choice. Hello everyone. I mean, the original plan was, if Matt wasn't ill, we'll come to that in a moment, if Matt wasn't off last week, I was just going to kind of just gloss over Halloween this year, because I kind of feel like, fuck it, it's not really that interesting, but that's just me. Um, welcome back though, Matt, it's uh, good to see your lovely face on the old Skype once again. Mm-hmm. Um, face for radio has never been more apparent as today, because I don't look or sound the greatest, but I will... God damn it, I'll give it my best shot. It's soldiering on. It's good to hear. Um, last week, Matt, obviously, we were Halloweening with the mensch that is Ash, Ash Dolan. Um, we came to the conclusion that Pennywise the Clone was the king horror villain. Was there anyone that you felt we did dirty on that? Or, you know, who would you have picked personally? It's difficult because, actually, when you, when you look at what these films ended up being, only one of them is a horror, and that would be the, the Xenomorph. Mm-hmm. Um, because only one of those films is a horror film. The rest are, are action, and they, you know they aren't scary in the least. But when you actually think what kind of animal bleeds acid and is a vicious hunter, and all the best villains in any film or genre are based around like their motives are completely one hundred percent justified in their own heads, and actually all this this is just this is just natural species doing natural species things it's an apex predator and that's what makes it so exciting and that's what makes it such a great villain i guess but obviously there's no humanoid aspect to it well there kind of was like later down the line the least said about that the better um (laughs) i the problem is again jigsaw i really liked but then the further you get into saw and that whole franchise it just gets absolutely bastardized and it's just becomes a shamble mm. of itself by about Saw 3. Um, so I would have gone Jigsaw if Saw had ended by like the third one. Are you happy with the news that it looks like he's going to be back for the 10th iteration of Saw? Not particularly. But the thing is, I checked out ages ago. Like I haven't seen the most recent one. It's a spiral, is it? Or mm. um, So uh, it's just one of those things. You've got to let... Don't tank the memory of what I had. It's better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. <laughs> I'm just gonna enjoy what I know now and not make you know not watch anymore. And make it worse. Yeah, I, I, I don't blame you. I feel like I've got so deep into it now that I have to watch them, even though I mostly hate them and end up texting Stu halfway through, pissing and moaning about how bad they've gotten. This won't kind of reach out to the regular listeners of this, but on our other less successful podcast, Wolves Fancast, someone put out a tweet the other day that I think got shared around the group chat as saw, but if Dazzling Dave was Jigsaw. And then it was like other wolves personalities that were like chopping their legs off and there was Sean, there are tools lying around. And it'd just be the way that wolves are at the minute, I think I'd rather chop off my own leg than watch <laughs> any more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other question we asked as well that week, Matt, um, have you seen any good horror films lately because we are in that season? Anything you can recommend or, or recommend to avoid? I haven't seen a lot of of horror as of late because I'm a big pussy hole. But <laughs> what I will say is if you're a young gentleman and you happen to uh, frequent a, uh, a girl or a boy 
and you take them back to your room or house or apartment or whatever. A great film to seal the deal is The Descent. Oh, yes. yes. Because <laughs> that used to be my go-to. I'd always put The Descent on. Have a, you know, a little cuddle. It's too scary. Oh, it's a monster. <laughs> that, was, that was always the done deal. And then you got into tight spaces later on in the night. Well, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Stu, something we didn't really touch on last week that, in retrospect, we probably should have. Um, the Marvel Werewolf by Night thing. Um, we haven't really spoke about it since it's been released. What What did you think of it? I haven't watched it. That's why. Oh, I thought you had. Apologies. Apologies. No, that's why I, I was saving it to watch it on Halloween. Right. Just just for something to do to kind of celebrate this whole nonsense of it all. Um, Bri, I mean, from the trailer, it looked great. And it's, what, 55 minutes? So I yeah, expecting Ben-Hur from it. it. As long as it lives up to what it seems to be billed as, which by the reactions of most people seems to be the case. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's, it's fine. Just fine. Like, like you say, you didn't expect it to be great and it wasn't great. It was just fine. Have you seen it yet, Matt? No, I've seen the, no. the there's quite a lot of, even like the little, like little touches, like the opening has been adapted for the fact that it's like a werewolfy thing, which looked quite cool. I saw a trailer on the internet for that, about the opening of it and stuff. Um, I've checked out Marvel now. I'm so far behind. I'm at the point of no return, and it's super liberating. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to watch it now. I'm not going to watch the films that come out. I'm not going to watch any of it. And I, there's, I've got, I finally rid myself of the FOMO of it. So that's, this that's is, excellent. It's done. This I'm is done with he, it. This is where he tells himself when he says that he can't buy any more trainers. Uh, <laughs> he can neither quit the MCU movies or buy. Quit buying Jordans. It's his curse, and he's dealt with it forever. <laughs> I feel like if I didn't have the unlimited card, I probably would have checked out on Marvel. Um, like the, the TV shows, I've dipped in and out. Like as you know, I've only watched a couple of episodes of She-Hulk. Um, like Thor left such a bad taste in my mouth that I'm, I'd be inclined not to bother watching Black Panther had it not been for the fact that I've got an unlimited card and it costs me nothing. Um, obviously if there's something else like it's not going to be high on my list of to watch that week if there's something else out that week that will probably take precedent um, I, I'm yeah I, I feel like I'm teetering on the edge of just cutting it off at this point and especially having seen bits of the new Ant-Man trailer which just looked terrible but there you go is there anything you'll be watching on Halloween night Matt or are you going to be pussying out of that one as well well I mean Halloween has a lot of masters, you know, Hocus Pocus or, mm -hmm. you know, Adam's Family 2, my favourite Halloween film, you know, Family Value. Brilliant. Though, <clears throat> pardon me, we only watched that, me and Sam, about two weeks ago. It was great as well. Like, that just doesn't get old. Like, yeah. it's it's so good. So many little nods to, other, to horror classics as well. Um, it's just sensational. So, I, I don't know. Uh, annoyingly, we realised until I saw a friend yesterday who told me that he, he there was like Hocus Pocus live in concert where you watch it to the orchestra, and I've never oh, done something like that before. And it's become all the rage as of late. Like they've done Joker with like the orchestra in the background and stuff. I think I'd like to to see that or do one of those. Mm, I think they did them at the Symphony Hall, uh, Birmingham. 
I believe. I mean, yeah, like, that should be interesting. I, you know, you'd, if you could do any, you'd, you'd do Phantom Menace, wouldn't you, for Jewel of the Fates? Like, just to hear yeah. it in real time. and Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Film's dog shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'll be watching Barbarian. I've been waiting ages for this, and I do really like a bit of uh, Georgina Campbell. So that's the one I've been looking forward to for a while. So that's going to be my uh, Halloween night viewing. Plus, it's got our boy Bill Skarsgård in there as well. So it should be interesting. Anyway, we'll move on to the actual point of this podcast, which is to look at uh, a Nick Cage film called Red Rock West. Um, Looking at Cage's timeline here, this comes after Honeymoon in Vegas and Emerson O'Dell and a year before it could happen to you and Trapped in Paradise. So it's 1993, um, still a little bit off his golden period run of Leaving Las Vegas, The Rock, Con Air, Face Off. That's two years down the line. Um, I'd read the synopsis of this film, and it's a serious film, but like in the middle of all these quite odd, silly comedies, it sticks out a little bit in the timeline of Cage. I was kind, of, I was pretty much quite intrigued as to where this was going. Um, Matt, had you got any? Had you known about this film before? What were you thinking oh, going into it? God no! And just to you know, peek behind the curtain here. So difficult was this to find. It had to be got uploaded for the rest of us to download because it was so that that difficult to get a hold of. Um, I had no clue about this film. Like nobody that like I've spoke to has heard about it either. Because I always you know tell people what we what we cover and, and that. But. Um, no, not a clue about it, which was nice. It was nice to go into it with a complete blank canvas of of what was going to happen. I didn't touch it in any capacity, didn't read any notes on it, didn't watch a trailer. I just thought, we'll go with it. Let's let's see what happens. I just hope it's not... Uh, with, I don't know why, when, it, when I heard Red Rock West, I didn't think of um, what it is. I thought, oh no, it's not another one of these helicopter films, is it? <laughs> it, it does sound like it's going to go down that route, doesn't it? Stu, um, I know you're a fan of the slapstick comedy stylings, especially when we look at this period of Cage. I know that you were a fan of all four films to various you know, degrees. So how were you feeling going into this movie, knowing that it's sandwiched between movies that you generally like? Um, like really not kind of apprehensive, that's the wrong word, but Intrigued more than anything because mainly because like what Matt said that we we couldn't find it anywhere. You can't buy it anywhere. I mean, even even renting it for three forty nine, I was prepared to do it for a change. Why not? It's not even possible to do that in the, this country. I mean, why? I mean, you can buy any kind of nonsense anywhere. Mm. You can't even buy this to rent or buy other than getting the DVD off Amazon if you're lucky, which is very peculiar. Um, but again, then you look at it and you think, well, why can't we buy this film? Why does no one know what it is? Is there a reason for that? And you kind of think, oh, no, maybe this is the stinker that's kind of been wiped from memory. And thankfully, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so looking at the cast on this one, uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, probably best known as Donna Haywood in Twin Peaks, but she'd also done like Wayne's World, Road to Wellville, Men in Black 2. She's a bit of a 90s stalwart. And we've also got Dennis Hopper, who we recently watched in Rumblefish, also known as El Nino in 2005's The Crow, Wicked Prayer. 
uh, but probably best known for Waterworld, Speed, Super Mario Brothers, a bit of a legend, really. Matt, have you seen The Crow Wicked Prayer? I've seen all of them, mate. I've got them all on DVD, believe it or not. Though by the time you get to number four, I'm fairly certain it's like it's region zero and it's it's not even like printed properly like the dvd case i think i just got it off eBay. someone might have even i got it off ebay i think and it's just yeah awful they got progressively worse as they go on obviously and then when we, when when angel is in it that was the the peak of its terribleness incredible um it's directed by john dahl uh it's not a name that i immediately recognized but when i looked into his filmography he directed 1994's the last seduction which is a film that I watched at uni, a neo-noir thriller. It's one of these films that I have like really vague recollections of the film, but for whatever reason, I could never remember the title of it. So when I came across it on IMDb, reading about this film, I was, I was genuinely quite pleased with myself. It's one of those 90s sexy thrillers that we don't get to see anymore. It's really fucking good as well. I would recommend it to anyone. It's an excellent movie. Is it the kind of film that would be on movies for men? <laughs> that like there was that channel back in you know it's you I'm sure you do yeah. it used to be like <laughs> that sat like I think as a young a young adult you think you're going to be watching porn on movies for men but it's more just like these red shoe diaries like er- erotica films as opposed to actual P and V yeah it's it's that sort of thing but quite uh, grim in parts but really good um, he also did another nineties favorite of mine Rounders which is the film which got me into playing poker, to be honest. like It's a really good movie, early Matt Damon, excellent movie. And then after that, he did quite a lot of TV work, so Battlestar Galactica, Breaking Bad, True Blood, Shameless, Arrow, Dexter. Like, it's a long list. He never seems to stick around for a lot of episodes, but he directs one and then moves on to the next. Like He's made a very good career out of it by the looks of things. Uh, looking on IMDb, though, the description here is upon arriving to a small town, a drifter is mistaken for a hitman. But when the real hitman arrives, complications ensue. What kind of work you looking for? I was hoping to get on a drilling crew. Why don't you try, uh, try Red Rock? Maybe somebody there can head you in the right direction. I thought you were supposed to be here last Friday. You are here for the job, aren't you? And you're Lyle from Dallas, right? Right. There's the five like we agreed. Just to go out to the house, break in. When she comes in, you, uh, well, you know what to do. Your name's Suzanne? Red Rock West. From Columbia TriStar Home. The film opens up with Michael, that's Nick Cage, having seemingly slept in his car. He's wearing a vest and his boxers and pulling on his knee brace, doing some push-ups in the middle of the road before then heading to a construction site to try and get a job. His friend on the site told him that it was a done deal, but the boss makes him apply, and when he finds out about Cage's bum knee, he passes on taking him on. Michael leaves to go to the next town, and that's Red Rock. He will try his luck there. Upon arriving at the local bar, the bartender, Wayne, asks Michael, I thought you were supposed to be here last Friday. You're here for the job, aren't you? You're loyal from Dallas, is that right? When Michael agrees with him, he then realises that the job that uh, Lyle is there for is to kill Wayne's wife, Suzanne. 
He gives him a scenario in order to make it look like it was a robbery gone wrong. Uh, that was 15 minutes. Like he, the opening went really quickly. What are you guys thinking here? Stu, how did the opening uh, get you going? It didn't really get me going. I was more kind of baffled, really. What what what, what was going on? It's like you, like you said about he, when he's waking up in his car like some <laughs> kind of slovenly tramp. And when you do kind of expect him to do like shaving in the wing mirror and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, to say that's, that's 15 minutes, it, it is kind of, it's almost like saying, oh yeah, nothing happens in these 15 minutes. But a lot does seem to happen. But yeah, it doesn't. It's like really odd. But it didn't feel fast and it didn't feel tedious either. Um, it's it's kind of systematic of this whole film. It's really hard to describe how you feel about it. I mean, I, w- I was really engrossed in it. I was completely full on when it doesn't do anything for the audio, but my camera's suddenly gone completely orange. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was... I was enjoying it, but I didn't know really know why because it was like one of the. It wasn't where I expected it to be. So, like, all we know at this point is that Cage is a man who is in need of work. He's looked into a job as a hitman. Like all three of us have said, we don't know this film. So, at the fifteen minute point, where did you think it was going to go? Because I got to be honest, I had no idea. This yeah. was completely like it was an open book at this point to me. Yeah, that's, that's exactly where I was. Well, I was thinking because, well, the fact that he, he turned up as, he wasn't just a drifter, he seemed like a bit of a, I mean, I thought he was a bit of a con man and that's mm. why he was putting the knee brace on and it was like, and then, but then he, he used it like, oh, I was being honest to the guy in the, um, on the construction site and you think, well, is he being honest or did he just not want the job? Mm. And then he turns up in this bar and then he completely flips his personality again and he went, yeah, of course, I'm... I'm a hitman and all this stuff. And it's like, well, you've gone, you've done like three characters in the space of 15 minutes here. Yeah. So I, I thought that's where it was going to go, that he was kind of, he was cleverer than he was letting on. And the whole thing was an act. And he actually mm. was the hitman. That's where yeah. I thought we were. Okay. Okay. Uh, Matt, thoughts on the first 15 minutes? And um, where did you think we were going to be going after the first 15 minutes? Well, my worry was that this was going to be another... I can't even remember the name of the film now, the one with the Twin Towers. Like, how are they going to pad out this remaining hour and 15? Because he's given the job. Surely it doesn't take him an hour and 15 to do the job or not do the job. Where are we going to go from here? Um, the bit with the knee brace and going to that job, at that point, I was like, oh, this is what this is going to plod on this already, I can tell. But the second they went to the bar and the second we see that, cock up between the you know the identifying you know what I'm trying to say he mm. uh, I thought oh actually this is this is picked up a little bit now this is this is turned interesting that this has the capacity for twists and turns and then I started paying attention so the fact that that was set up within 15 minutes was a good thing I'm glad that we got to that point nice and early because it allows us then to enjoy some of the the you know the twists and turns as the film goes on yeah absolutely Michael breaks into Suzanne's house, startling her but warning her that Wayne plans on having her murdered. Upon hearing this news, Suzanne offers Michael double the money to kill Wayne. 
Michael goes to leave Red Rock. The rain is hammering down and someone steps out in front of his car. Breaking too late, Michael goes right through the man. The man who Michael hit was the ranch hand from Suzanne's farm and he's still alive. Michael races to the hospital, carrying the man in to be seen. Before he gets a chance to leave, though, the local police step in to ask Michael some questions, as the man had two bullets in his stomach. Whilst the police were talking, the sheriff arrives, and it's Wayne. Wayne arrests Michael, who manages to escape Wayne's attempts to arrest him, before a race through the woods, where Wayne is shooting at Michael. Michael falls out of the woods and onto the roadside where a a car manages to slam his brakes on seconds before plowing into Michael. That's 30 minutes. I found that chase through the woods to be actually really quite exciting because we know he's got this bad knee. So I thought, is he actually going to get away? Where are we going? Is he going to capture him? Like, it just felt like the possibilities were endless at this point. And we've got a man lying in hospital who's been shot. We know that that wasn't Michael. It felt like there was a lot of loose ends going on and this film could go absolutely anywhere here. I I really enjoyed this part. Matt, what were your thoughts getting up to the 30-minute mark? Yeah, the thing that I I enjoyed about this is the theories were constantly going in my head. Is this some kind of weird town like the village? Mm. Like, Mm -hmm. Or, you know, is, is this a Twin Peaks kind of thing? Or is this what's the story here? Like I was trying to work it out in my head. Is, is, is this some backwards version of the Wicker Man where he's going to end up being like sacrificed <laughs> for the town's whim? Um, and because it didn't give you any answers, at least not in this 30 minutes, um, kept me engaged. Yeah, I was, I, I was really enjoying it at this point. Stu, do you echo those sentiments? Yeah. and I thought as soon as the cops turned up and they like, they might as well come straight out of, a certain other Nicolas Cage holiday classic. Um, th- that's what they seem like. They seem like idiots, didn't they? Again, straight mm-hmm. away. You think, oh, these these bumbling cops. And is this now going to turn into a comedy out of nowhere? <laughs> because it wasn't really... Even though it was played quite seriously, there was some quite funny bits already in this. And I, I did kind of laugh a few times. And it was like, are we supposed to be laughing at this? Or is it just because it's been, it's quite weird? Um, but you are right though in that that chase scene. When we, we've seen a lot of chase scenes through the woods and stuff like that before, and it, it, you always get the one ah the one fall down yeah, into the, yeah. into the brambles, and it always it looks all pathetic. But this actually they did it well, and they did it they did it like they're doing the Walking Dead, where it it doesn't look terrible. Um, so that was one plus four. I mean, I I did generally look like the actual quality of the filmmaking in the, in this film was very high. Considering no one knows about it, and he's it's like got the recognition mm-hmm. of a student film, <laughs> but yeah, it's and as soon as he nearly gets run over, and, and you, he's looking at the um, looking <laughs> at the bumper with just his nose and the peak of it's there, and he then he steps out the car and he he's wearing what he's wearing. And you think this is going to go stupid now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael asks the man in the car for a lift to the gas station. The man, played by Dennis Hopper, agrees. We see the license plate on Hopper's car. It says he's from Texas. The car driver pulls up at the same bar which Michael first went to when he arrived at Red Rock. The driver demands that Michael joins him for a beer. When they get inside, the driver introduces himself. His name's Lyle. Michael goes to the toilet and at the same time, Wayne returns to the bar where he meets Lyle. 
Both of them burst into the toilet, but Michael has climbed through the window and managed to escape. After a tense game of cat and mouse, Michael once again gets away and makes it to Suzanne's. He explains to her that the ranch hand friend of hers had been shot and that Suzanne should leave immediately, uh, as it is likely that her husband had something to do with it. Whilst they were talking, Michael hears Lyle pull up. Lyle sneaks inside and Michael lures him upstairs, where Michael knocks Lyle out. Both Michael and Suzanne leave, not wishing to be around when Lyle wakes up. Michael wants to go to the nearest police station and explain what happened, but Suzanne reminds him that he pretended to be a hitman to con money out of her sheriff husband in order to kill her. They decide to just get as far away as they can from Red Rock. They stop, stop off to fill the car while Suzanne decides that she wants a drink. Why on earth at this point would you go for a beer? Like you filled the car, surely you would just want to get the fuck out of Dodge at this point. Mm, exactly. And then they go into the bar and Suzanne doesn't have a drink. She gets absolutely hammered. Mm. So they end up getting this motel room and then stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> they go down to Bone Town, as I've got in my notes here. Again, you're on the run. Like this just all seems really fishy to me at this point. The following morning, Suzanne explains that they should go back to Red Rock, break into her husband's bar and get her money. Against this initially, but she manages to get Michael on side. They break into Wayne's office in the bar. Suzanne tries and fails to get into the safe, so she gets Michael to try. I did wonder at this point, is she just trying to set him up? Like, she's tried it. She knows the combination. She's tried it herself and says she can't do it. So she gets him to put his hand on the uh, the safe. And reads out the numbers to him, which surely she would have tried. Like, my conspiracy brain was just going 10 to the dozen at this point. Yeah, well, especially since she was the one who instigated getting plastered in the bar and staying over. When, like you said, any sensible person would have just got straight as far as possible and then had a drink somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Wayne pulls up whilst they're inside. They hide in the closet. They overhear Wayne talking to his deputies. His deputies have been told that Wayne was not his real name and that he and his wife had stole $1.9 million. And they also have been told that Wayne had arranged to kill his wife. Michael overhears all of this. Suzanne tries to talk him around, telling him that they can still run away to Mexico together. Before they're able to leave, Lyle arrives and stops them, taking them both hostage. So that's now run 10 minutes. Like, how do we feel about the latest revelations? How are you feeling at the minute, Shu? I didn't initially see her being part of it up until the bar. Just for for that reason, because you had no reason to doubt her. I mean, you had reason to doubt her in Men in Black 2 when she was obviously alien. Um, <laughs> but not in, I mean, that's the only thing I could remember her for when I first, first saw her name come up. I thought, oh, yeah. Um, and she was probably the best part about that film, but yeah, it was it was a bit of a bit of a curveball, and then it comes and they're, oh, they're, they're they're essentially the wet bandits and they've escaped, <laughs> and then they're, they're now in hiding, and amazingly, one of them is the sheriff of this stupid town, and I thought, well, this is now turning into a farce, and and some ridiculous things are going to go down because if. You can't just turn up and make yourself the sheriff and no one double-check it. 
I know this place is kind of a, it's meant to be a hick town anyway, mm-hmm. but still. Um, and then you have the whole thing, like you said, the whole conversation with the deputies and they have the, the, the one, the classic wanted poster. <laughs> made, made straight out to Microsoft Paint from like 1998. And <laughs> you might as well, did it even have bullet holes in it? Because I'm, in my head, I'm thinking that it did. It looked like it. It yeah. looked like the kind of thing I would have made at primary school with some lemon and like an open flame. It was yeah, awful, when, when you, wasn't when, it? When you get like, um, when you have to make a treasure map with tea bags. Yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> and rub, rub, rub it over. Yeah, it just it just turned completely farcical from that point. And to be honest, I, I started to enjoy it even more. So, while well, this film is no longer taking itself seriously, mm-hmm. Matt, there's a lot going on at this point. Is it, is it too much, or is it okay? Still, how are you feeling? No, I didn't think it was too much. Going right the way back to when Lyle turns up at the ranch. When Nick Cage, th- I can't remember what he throws at his head, he throws it with such pinpoint accuracy. It's, prop- <laughs> it's proper slapstick, and it really made me laugh. Um, there was a couple of bits that I didn't like so much, like when he shimmies across that beam onto the bloke's, <laughs> onto the bloke's truck. <laughs> and then like the conversation they had is a bit hokey. Um, it's like it was like some kind of cheap amateur dramatic play. Like mm. the dialogue between them and the way it was delivered was a bit weird. But, I mean... The thing is about this, you never, you didn't really know where it was going. The, the twists and turns continue on, but I don't think there were, apart from what Stu said about him being the sheriff of nothing, which is completely out of the realms of possibility. Apart from that, that's the only one that I think is, is you know, was silly. I mean, the, the fact, I wish they hadn't have given away the license plate of Lyle's car. Because I think it would have been mm. more fun to have heard it through dialogue, like when he gets to the like just while they're yeah. talking. Like, like it's a shame that they gave it away with the license plate. To be fair, uh, but at this point, yeah, I'm still I'm still enjoying it. I, I, I'm wondering is she a wrongan in the sense that yes, she's robbed this money, but like she said, she did it for love and this this and that. Is she a wrongan in the wrong one, or is she the reformed one? that he's just trying to get away from it all and, and join Nick Cage on this love affair. So yeah, I'm still, I'm still invested at this point. Super. Lyle springs Wayne out of jail and the gang drive to a graveyard out in the middle of nowhere. Michael is made to dig a grave up where there is a lockbox. Wayne refuses to open the box until Lyle gets rid of his gun. Lyle agrees. So Wayne opens it, taking his money out and there's a pistol inside alongside it. Wayne goes to leave on his own, but Lyle has the keys to the car. He throws them on the floor. As Wayne goes to pick them up, Lyle throws a knife into Wayne's throat. Like, fucking pinpoint accuracy as well, from about 20 yards away. In the mayhem, Michael and Lyle fight. Suzanne offers to help Wayne, but she takes the money and tries to find the keys so that she can leave. The groundskeeper hears the commotion and notifies the police. Suzanne kills Lyle. The police arrive. Michael and Suzanne run towards the train tracks uh, as the train is approaching, making it onto one of the empty carts. When Michael's back is turned, Suzanne pulls the gun on him. Michael asks if she shot the ranch hand, which she did. He wanted the money. Michael walk o- walks over to the bag of money. Suzanne threatens to shoot him. Michael doesn't listen. She pulls the trigger and nothing. No bullets. 
Suzanne tries to sweet talk Michael, changing her tune, wanting to split the money now. Michael just dumps the cash out of the train and then tosses the broad out after it. The police arrive in the background. Michael's train speeds away. Steve, what do you think of the ending? I, I was you, really you say, excited. You say speeds away. A light jog would have caught up yeah. that train. Yeah, because like, the train's going away as the credits roll. And you can see it going. And by the time you've got down to the best boy and stuff, it's only travelled about 15 yards, hasn't it? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it might as well have been a train set. The, uh, <laughs> the speed. Oh. It was it was just funny. I think it, when I said it, it started to descend into fast, it really did. I mean, you, you had the whole thing, the stabbing itself. That was, you could see, but then how it was kind of so overreacted to. Mm-hmm. And then and then him coming back to, seemingly coming back to life. You could see it coming, but again, it was played so ridiculously. Like, it, it was almost like it was from, like, some of the, this, the last half of this film was like Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> and where you don't really know what you're supposed to be thinking of. Mm. Where, is it deliberately being stupid or is it just really badly made? I don't think it's badly made at all, um, but when I turned it off and I, I, when I, I said to you in the thing, I really enjoyed this, mm. and you can't really say why, <laughs> because it's not. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll come to this in a bit anyway. But I really enjoyed the ending. I thought it, they couldn't have wrapped it up in a better way for how it how it had gone throughout the film. Mm, superb, uh, Matt. Do you agree? Is this is this the ending that you wanted the film to have? Yes, because it it's the only ending it could have had because it's essentially a Western. So he has to go off on his own to the next town. Mm. The man with no name comes in, comes out. It, because it's a Western, that's the only way it can end. So, you know, he couldn't he, he couldn't have worked with them too. They couldn't have gone to Mexico. Fuck Mexico, as he, as he shouts. Um, it just, yeah, it was the ending that it had to be. The way that it got there was at the end, like Stu says, completely farcical, but it didn't detract from it being fun. Mm. Super. Right. So the budget on this film was seven million dollars. Uh, the box office return was only two and a half million, which did surprise me. So I'd mentioned some of the films that came before and after this film. Honeymoon in Vegas was 12 months prior. That made $35 million. Um, a year later, we had It Could Happen to You, which made over $40 million. So for this to have got two and a half with Nick Cage and Dennis Hopper, it just seems very paltry, but may explain why it's not really been heard of. Uh, 1993 would have been the 66th Annual Academy Awards. Um Red Rock West wasn't nominated for any Oscars. It was nominated for a Saturn Award and two Spirit Awards, though. Um, the big hitter for that year's show was Schindler's List. It won the Best Picture and Best Director for Spielberg. Spielberg has had 13 films which have been nominated either as him as the Best Director or as a producer on the Best Picture. Can you name the other 12 films? <laughs> Stu, start off. What do you reckon? Um, hmm. 
we, so is this director or producer? Yeah, either or. So it's one. He's directed all of them, but when he directs them, he's producer as well. So he gets both. Well, I'm guessing ET's on there. ET. Yep. Matt. So what? What was this for? Sorry. When he's for any for any part yeah. of the of the movie has been. He's had twelve. He's had thirteen films that he's either been producer or director on, which have been Oscar nominated. Um, for, for, Ed, for any list is one. A uh, best picture or. Best director. Oh, so like Jurassic Park ain't going to have had a best picture uh, award, is it? Jurassic like... Park isn't on the list. No, surprise. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Saving <coughs> Private Ryan is. Yep. Stu. That would have been my second. Um, did he have anything to do with? Oh, I think did he have anything to do with the abyss? But I don't think he did. Did he? No, I'll give you a clue. He had one out last year. It was a it was out at Christmas, and it was a remake. It was a film I loved. Oh, I know what it is. Out last year. Well, this well this helps show. Not doesn't make a difference for the audio listeners at home. But if I went, <laughs> that's not that's it's... not my, that's not Michael J. Fox, but that might be. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's doing jazz hands for the listener. That means nothing to me. Matt, what do you reckon? West Side Story. Yeah, West Side Story. Uh, any other guesses before I tell you the remaining ones? Mm, what about the Colour Purple? Colour Purple's on there, yeah. That was one of those in, we had to read the book at school. That's the only reason I know it. See, this is why the whole thing is nonsense, because that film is not as good as people think it is. I don't think I've ever seen it, to be honest, for some reason. Mm. Would, um, would, would Close Encounters have been nominated? Close Encounters was his first one. Yeah. Uh, there's an, another big hitter with a very big name actor and the character. It should be close to your heart, Matt. Close to my heart? Mm. In what capacity? Is it Junior. Like... Junior? Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh Oh no! Don't say that. Oh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Raiders is on there. Very good, very good. Yeah. What? Yeah, it was. I don't know if that was best director or best picture. It was one or the other, but yeah. Uh, the others that we uh, still got to go. So you got Munich, Letters from Iwo Jima, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, and The Post, which is a really good film as well. Again, War Horse. Why? Didn't see it. Don't like war films. Boring. No, well, um, that is that that is the epitome of exactly what you say about war films. It's the mm. biggest sort of sentimental bollocks ever. It's just, it's just. If you want to put a film on and cry about horse from the past, go right ahead and watch it. But that's all. Literally, all it is. I don't, <laughs> I don't get what the hysteria about that film is whatsoever. And I like. I've, obviously, I like war films, and that that new, that new Netflix series looks amazing. Which um, one's that? The Western on the Western Front. Oh shit! Yes, it's a remake of an old film. Apparently, it's good. Um, based on a, a novel, I believe it's closer to the novel than the original film yeah, was. So from the gym point of view, so which we mm. never get. So mm. Mm. yeah, it should be quite interesting. Actually, like you say, it's a different view on generally how we see things. Is it all war films, Andy, or just World War Two that you? 
Not I, I think it's mostly World War Two, because thinking about it, I quite like films that are set during Vietnam. Like mm-hmm. a, Vietnam's a bit of a sexier war, for want of a better <laughs> word, really, isn't it? It's got a better soundtrack, which I think helps. Um, so yeah, I think it, it probably is that. It's the main um, thing. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan's fine, but I didn't really. I wasn't massively invested in this. It just. Have you done Band of Brothers yet? No. Uh, my my brother in Christ, you need to you need to watch that ASAP. So. I I know I should, I do know I should. I also know that it just feels like it's a commitment. It really is, and it's ten it's ten hours. Let's see. Yeah, but I'm like I'm about fifteen hours behind on the TV show that I watch generally. So a pleasure. Like, yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Um. Right. Moving on. What do you think the scores on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes? Out of 10, out of 100. Stu? I mean, it's really hard to kind of guess because no one knows it even exists. And even though I, I took it as two completely different films mashed together, but is that me putting a, a spin on it because I liked it? Or is it, or should I be criticising it for not being one thing or the other? I mean, I'm... Very middle of the road, I'd say about 665, something like that, because I just don't know. Mm. Both critically and from the audience. Yeah, yeah. In, in the middle. Okay. Matt, do you agree? Higher, lower? Well, because my answer's changed on the fly because of what you told me about the budget. So, uh, not the budget, sorry, the box office, because now that I know that it didn't make a lot of money, I actually think it's probably scored higher because it will venture into cult status. So mm. I'd probably go like 7.5 to 8 for the um, audience and a little less for the critics because I think they'd probably turn their nose up at it being a bit silly. So maybe 6.5 to 7 for, for critics. Interesting. You're very close, actually, Matt. So IMDb, the Metacritic, and the Rotten Tomatoes uh, audience score. So you've got 7.0, 79, and 75%. So, yeah, very much within that 7, 7.5. The Rotten Tomatoes critical score has this on the same number as Spider-Verse and Pig and is Nick Cage's highest rated film <laughs> at oh 97%. What? Jesus yeah. Christ. That's got, a, that's got, like, how many have you got to have ranked for it to register on the list? Like, there must be, like, you can't have two and it go on. Do you know what I mean? Like, there, there yeah. must be a really small amount of critical responses on this, though. I will have a quick look whilst we're here. Red because Rock. that's absolutely mad. It's not a bad film. It's it, it's But it's not, you know, it's not up there with the absolute stellar best that he's done. No, I, I agree. Like, I enjoyed it, but there is a caveat to it. Um, there are 39 critical reviews, so not a massive amount by any stretch of the imagination. Um, some of the reviews are from as recent as June 6th this year. So even like recent, uh, even recent reviews still give it good ones. Um, the vast majority of them seem to come out sort of mid-aughts. But what have yeah. what have what have we got to do to be considered a critic on Rotten Tomatoes, so we can start our own smear campaign on Captain Corelli's mandolin? 
<laughs> I was wondering this because when you look at some of them, they they do just seem to have some nobodies off some rando website and odd podcasts. So I don't know if we just need to like submit some shit for it or what. I would quite like to be a verified reviewer on Rotten Tomatoes. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah, that'll you, get them. That'll get them going. And get Valley Girl to where it deserves. God, Valley Girl. Oh, I, I nearly watched that again the other day. See, I, I don't know why. I just had an urge to watch something kind of terrible, but also kind of fun. Punishing well, it's yourself trapped in paradise season soon. Oh, that's that's never getting watched again. That one. I'll watch the Family Man again, probably this Christmas. Yes, I, I'd agree with that. Um, I, I'd listened to a little bit of that podcast that we did, and just uh, when we were talking about the beginning of it, where he's walking around playing air guitar to, was it Salieri? I can't remember, some classical piece of music. And it just made me have that itch of, yeah, I, I want to watch this film again. I did enjoy that one. So the critical response on this one. Uh, the only f- critics to give it a negative score was Jonathan Rosenbaum, which is a name that we've mentioned on this podcast before. He said it was a rather ho-hum, if watchable, neo-noir though it's been treated in some quarters as something special. Uh, Very much on the other end of that scale was Richard Schickel of Time magazine. Uh, It has the kind of tension and energy that maybe even a touch of delirium that is only a memory in most of today's big studio movies. Karen James from New York Times said it should never have fallen through the cracks. This clever little film is a real find. And finally, Jeff Andrew from Time Out, a well-played, highly entertaining and playfully ingenious thriller. The good reviews are like talking about it as if it's the greatest film of 1993. Like, the, I mean, the one that I said, Richard Schickel, the one who was talking about it, you know, it's a, a touch of delirium, tension and energy that is only a memory in most of today's big studio mm-hmm. movies. He's like almost written a fucking poem about this film, the way he's described it. And like we said before, whilst it's good, I'm a little bit surprised at how highly they've spoke about it. Mm. Uh, looking on Amazon.com, there's nothing really of interest. There's, there's lots of very good reviews, but Nothing you wouldn't expect. It's got a 4.5 out of 5 with 87% 4 and 5 star reviews. Um, but there's nothing really comedic. They're all just saying, yeah, it's it's a good film. Kind of what you expect, really. Moving on to the good, the bad and the crazy. Uh, Matt, please start us off. So the good is is the fact that it kept me engaged all the way through considering it you know it's not got a huge budget and there's a couple of sketchy performances you know throughout it but it kept me engaged enough with its twists and turns i never felt like i knew the full picture so i was Mm -hmm. never bored i was never bored throughout it so so that's that's a good that's a good thing obviously The, the bad thing is that once the film started, I then started to Google it. And when people call it like neo-noir, I expected it to be a little sexier than this. I expected mm-hmm. it to be a bit grittier and a bit 
you know a bit more challenging you know theme wise and stuff like that and there really wasn't any of that it's there's, there's no challenging themes in this film at all there's no morality compass really yeah do you know what i mean so that was a bit of a letdown to be perfectly honest that was a that was a bit of a shame but what my crazy in this one is that <laughs> jt walsh who played wayne he's one of these actors that You've seen in everything, but you can't pinpoint down one thing he's been in. He's just a face that he's just recognisable, but I can't tell you why. And then I realised he was on Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> and that's when it clicked. And I was like, I know who this guy is. Um, but he's just one of those faces that I think just got lost to the annals of time, like never made it out, makes a convincing like extra everywhere he goes. But I think people would recognise him, just not have a clue where he's from. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Stu? I mean, the good is the fact that they had so many things going on in this film. The where, well, we've already talked about how you went from, oh, is this a crime caper? Is this a slapstick comedy? Is it like a buddy cop film? Is it, has it got a romantic section? And it worked. Everything worked. And it's got, it had no right working at all. And like we, like we spoke about in the last hour or so, how it jumped from one thing to the, the next, yet nothing seemed out of place. It all felt real in this world. Mm. So you have got a murderers for hire dressing exactly like a Texan you'd expect to dress like in a stupid car, polished up to the nines, in the middle of a desert, um, dust-free. You have got redneck hillbilly police chiefs and you but then you have got a, a sheriff who's on the run from the FBI with a with a made at home tea stained wanted poster which none of these things should work together but mm. they just do I mean the bad the only bad thing I can think of is why people don't know about it and who who owns the distribution rights to this that it's not just put if this was put on Netflix this this could easily be one of them things that, that people just randomly rediscover, and then people on niche podcasts like this talk about it, and then <laughs> it kind of it snowballs, and then it becomes like, the, like lost treasure. It just doesn't make any sense why you got films like this that are buried when you've got things like Prime, Paramount Plus, even Disney, whoever whoever the hell that owns it, unless it's just one of them things that whoever owned the distribution in the first place just went busted. It just got lost. Who knows? But it's just a massive lost opportunity because more people need to see this film because it's a lot of fun. Mm. And just looking on Amazon at the moment at the, the Blu-ray that you can buy plan B entertainment. I, I've never heard of plan B entertainment before. So that might be why it's not really got any sort of release. Unless that's the, uh, the, Rapper slash actor plan B. Yeah, just imagine if uh, some some random cockney owns the rights to this film. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the crazy thing, which again stuck out, well, like a sore leg. At what point did the the knee brace stop being a thing? Because after after about the first fifteen minutes, it was never mentioned again, and you got him on doing high wise. Tr- high wire trapeze things have gone balance beams across trucks not mentioned you got them gambling around 
through bushes and forests, not mentioned. You got him jumping on trains, not mentioned. It's like you had this thing at the very start <laughs> that's just, I'm just completely forgotten about and no one seems to care. Mm. I, I'd got that down as my, one of my bads was the fact that it never seemed to come back into to play at all. It, it seemed to be a narrative device to move him on from that building site to Red Rock. But the film could easily have just opened up in Red Rock. They didn't need to have that in there. So it, it didn't really have any impact. But they made such a, such a thing about making sure you noticed that he was pulling on this knee brace. So that felt a little bit odd. Uh, the other bad, I felt it was a little bit disjointed because, as you said, Stu, it does feel like there's a few different films in here. And whilst they all, as a whole, it does feel like a story has gone through it. It did feel like there was more of a handbrake turn to get into some areas of the film rather than smooth driving through. I felt it possibly could have been like a three or four hour miniseries and they could have ironed it out a little mm. bit better. But I feel like I'm being picky because, actually, I really enjoyed this film, so I'm just trying to find reasons to put in the bad segment here. Um, for the good, though, like I like a noir film. Um, as she said, Matt, it's not massively neo-noir. It does hit all of the tropes, the duplicitous woman, the use of light and dark, and, and you know, all of those. Like It, it tickled that. Uh, film student itch that I get with these kind of mm. things so I enjoyed it for that and Dennis Hopper I thought was really good in this movie he feels like an actor who somehow I don't feel like I've seen many of his films considering he's something of a legend I've seen a handful of his movies and he came into this and he he had this sort of wide-eyed crazy assholeness to his character something that we kind of associate with Nick Cage in probably about seven or eight years' time. And this frenetic energy that he brought to it, I thought was a really good foil for what was going on. Yeah. Because when you look at the the main plot between the three main characters, the effectively what's a love triangle, that would have been pretty boring if it was just those three playing it out. The introduction of that fourth character just added this element of danger to everything. Yeah, he was definitely the anarchy of the piece, wasn't he? Like, he, he was... And especially before the kind of reveal about who he really is, when he, you know, the whole Semper Fi thing and they were talking mm. about being Marines together. I thought that was like the conversations and the scenes that he were in, his dialogue was given in such a way that it just had a, that's kind of kept the energy levels up. And without him being there, I think it would have been a lot more dreary and plodding yeah. along this film. Yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. You know what never gets talked about either? Well, remember that reveal of him in twenty four as the bad guy mm. the very first time, and it was like it was kept completely secret. For I mean, that obviously never happened now. But was it the first season or the second season? It's it's been a long time since I watched yeah. that. I think um, it's the second, but yeah. But when I've it, never seen I've never seen twenty four ever, not a single episode. Oh. And I saw it on IPTV the other day, and I thought to myself, does it just follow him? the show. Yeah. So I guess just for that 24 hour period, he doesn't sleep. No, no, he doesn't sleep. Oh, uh, there's one episode where he like tries to have a nap on a city. Yeah. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> and it, it, there was, there always used to be the thing that was, you never saw him go to the toilet because that was in the ad break. That's all. When he, when 
it goes to the timer thing and then it comes back. Well, you're watching it now. And the whole thing's on fucking Disney Plus anyway. You ain't gonna watch it in in the bad way. Um but that's what where the ad breaks were. So Oh, it, so it's it's not a full hour then. No, it's no, it's no. forty five minutes. Wow, yeah. okay. And it, it does cut away so you're not just with Kiefer Sutherland. Like you may be with a different character in a different part of LA or wherever they are. Um but yeah, you are right. Like he he wouldn't have a decent night's kip. He would struggle to get through. Weirdly, my friend watched it within the last month or so. Her and her husband just sat there and played through it. I'm like, this hasn't been out for 20 years at this point. Why are you watching <laughs> it now? Uh, but yeah, that, they loved it and said it's it's ridiculous, but it does it's still watchable now. The f- the first three was superb because yeah, a- a- after, after that, it kind of turned into a parody of itself. And then when the nuke went off in LA, it's like, well, yeah. it's just been silly now. That was when it lost me. Was that the nuke was like it was quite literally the the jumping of the shark. It was it was just wild. It was too much. Mm. Uh, my crazy on this film as well. I, I just think it's insane that I've never heard of this film before. Like obviously doing research for this, a film which has got a ninety seven on Rotten Tomatoes, which is starring two of the biggest actors of all time, and. Like I said, literally no one's ever heard of this film. It's fucking insane. So, yeah, I thought that that was crazy. Um, But did you enjoy the film, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it, for sure. I um, It's not without its flaws, but it certainly wasn't boring. Um, And it certainly kept me kept me engaged with it. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Stu, agreement? Yeah, fully. It's not going to be... It's not going to tickle the top five, and I think it, it it might get into a top ten maybe, but it's not going to be. It's not nowhere near that that ridiculous number that it's it's rated on 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 RT for. Maybe it is a scarcity thing. Maybe it's one of these things that we just people who've seen it. It's like a special club mm-hmm. who, who really knows. Um, but yeah, I mean, you say, would you recommend this? Of course. You recommend this to anyone because it's it's a really really good fun nineties film. It, it felt in a, the kind of way that like Wild Wild West is better now looking back at it as a nonsense than it was at the time when it came out. Mm. This has aged perfectly. Yeah, it it, it feels very nineties, but in the right way. Like it feels like a period piece rather than. <laughs> A throwback, almost. Yeah. So I think it's worked really well. I'm, I'm in agreement. So I enjoyed it. Is it deserving of being Nick Cage's joint highest rated film of all time on Rotten Tomatoes? Probably not. But that's not to say that, you know, it, it had very good acting. It had a simple but, you know, effective storyline behind it. It's a genre of film that doesn't really get a, a lot of love or lookings in the modern day, so it's, it's good to watch for that. All around, I just thought it was an enjoyable film. It didn't reinvent the wheel, but it didn't take a shit on the wheel either. It was just a good movie. Uh, based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Stu? He was great. I think we had we had a bit of everything in this. There was hints at Crazy Cage, there was the the lesser seen seductive cage, and there's probably a reason for that. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, we've kind of skirted over it, but 
I mean, it's almost as if it, it makes like Terminator's sex scene like something from Emmanuel. <laughs> it, it's it's embarrassing. Um, but yeah, he, he was great in this, as as everyone was. Yeah. Matt, sexy cage. Mm. <laughs> I wouldn't say he was great. He was he was fine. He was okay. He, he he wasn't a bad performance from him in that, you know, I don't think this isn't left behind by any stretch of the imagination, but um, <laughs> he was just fine. So it was good, yes, but would this be, you know, if you could only show one film to somebody and be like, God, this this guy, whew, why do you get a load of Nick Cage? You wouldn't show him this. You know what I mean? Mm. There's, no, there's not a lot of range to the character, I don't think. Mm. I think, like, we've watched a lot of 90s Cage at this point as well, haven't we? From the sublime to the ridiculous, like, we've seen the whole gamut of Nick Cage. And this one is firmly in the middle. I, I felt like it was a solid but probably not spectacular performance. Yeah, it um, was safe, wasn't it? It was... yeah. Yeah, and I think because we, are, as the audience, are supposed to identify and we view the film through Nick Cage's eyes in this, that's exactly what it needed to be. We didn't need to have the, the the manic highs and the depressing lows. We needed someone who's steady, and and that's what Cage was. Um, I thought it was a really well balanced performance. I, I agree with you. It's probably not going to tickle the top five. I don't think it'll be top five film or top five performance. But it's definitely on the good on both of those questions for me. Uh, So finally, to finish it off, finish this sentence. If you enjoyed Red Rock West, you may also like. Jim. I can't remember the name, which is annoying for this segment. Um, It's the one, Steve Martin, in um, where he's he's an actor and a Western the Three Amigos. That's the one, yeah. Three Amigos. <laughs> what a film! It, I hadn't thought about it for years, and for some reason, I was sitting through the, sitting through this, and I thought, it, I don't know if it was just the whole Western kind of vibe in the background and the Texan thing, but and the impersonating someone that you're actually not really. Um, but yeah, Three Amigos. Watch it immediately. Like I know, I know what it is. I'm going to do the same. Yeah. I might add that to the list because I haven't seen that in so long. I used to love that. It was just a weird little shuffly dance thing they used to do. <laughs> Always used to make me laugh. Brilliant choice. Matt? Uh, drive. Ryan Gosling's Drive. Mm-hmm. Because essentially, Drive is a Western too. And, you know, the man with no name comes in, jobs for the highest bidder, keeps himself to himself, ends up going out in a blaze of glory to kind of defend the woman he's fell for kind of thing and goes off into the distance fatally wounded or what have you. I mean, Drive itself is Shane, a remake of Shane. Mm. But it, yeah. I think if you enjoyed the fact that, the you know, the drifter comes in, the drifter raises hell, the drifter leaves element of um, this film, I think you'd really enjoy Drive. And Drive's just, it's just sexy as hell, isn't it? As mm. well. Great soundtrack as well. Visually, like, has some really nice things in it. So, yeah. Watch Drive if you've not seen it. It's probably got one of the most iconic pieces of clothing in as well. Like that coat for such a period of time was mm-hmm. like that. That was something everybody wanted. I think it's kind of up there with the bride in the Kill Bill series. Like it's just immediately identifiable. 
Uh, for myself, um, I mentioned at the start of this podcast, The Last Seduction, which was uh, Linda Fiorentino plays a woman who is on the run from her husband. She ends up embroiled trying to sell murders to housewives in the middle of nowhere so that they can claim um, insurance money. It eventually catches up to her and the killers try to come for her. It's a classic neo-noir. I think that's what this film sort of wanted to be. I think he wanted a bit more of that and he didn't quite hit it. So The Last Seduction is what I'd recommend. If you want something a little bit sillier, I would probably say go for Disclosure. Uh, Michael Douglas gets a blowjob and Demi Moore tries to get him sacked because of it. it it's awful, but it's really good fun. Um, the animated series Big Mouth did an episode where the kids put on a stage play of the movie Disclosure, but they make it into a musical and it's just absurd. So, yeah, watch that film and watch the TV show as well. Brilliant. It, just while you were talking, I thought, you know what, I'm going to watch again, 8mm, because I remember that being decent. And then it's got 23% on the tomato meter. It was better than that, wasn't it? Um, I don't think it was, to be honest. I think we did nail it a little bit. Oh, maybe, um, I'm, maybe I'll have uh, revisionist history on this. Maybe you need to give us a, another review on it. You know I think what? it was a, a bit like um, Gone in 60 Seconds, because I remember all three of us saying we enjoyed that in 2002 or whatever, <laughs> but watching it now in 2022, it's dog shit. Um, my mind automatically went to the Eminem film. <laughs> and, <laughs> eight Mile. <laughs> eight Mile and not Eight Millimeter, which kind of says everything about Eight Millimeter itself. Mm. I think 8mm wanted to be something it wasn't, but I do remember us all really enjoying the performance from James Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. But that's not a love, yeah. So that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. If you've seen this one or any of the others, please get in contact. You can get us on email at cage, uh, sorry, cagefightingpod at gmail.com or on the socials at cagefightingpod. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on the socials as well, just because that's where we put out our calls for questions and whatnot. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcatcher you're listening to so you don't miss an episode. And if you could leave a review, we will love you forever because that's the kind of thing that would help us grow, especially in the year 2023. So let's try and get a push on that one, I think, folks. Uh, finally, thank you just for giving us your time this week. We very much appreciate it. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? Take it easy, everybody. Look after yourselves and stay cool. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Surely it'd be stay warm at this time of year. Um, but yeah, if you are listening to this on Monday, just just be thankful that tomorrow is the countdown to Christmas. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> it's goodbye from me and remember, be excellent to each other. Thank you.